go. Welcome, everybody, to the Chinchilla Pickin' Podcast. It is July the 9th, 2023, at 3.58 p.m. As always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood, and I am joined today by the one and only Brandon Beaver. Brandon, what is new with you, man? I'm fired up for today's show already <laughs> after already talking to you about it. I, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty jazzed, too. So, I mean, all right. So, for those of you, if this is your first time listening, well, thank you. Thank you. But most of you, uh, most of our listeners are uh, returning listeners. Um, Brandon and I, uh, we get together five to 10 minutes before the show and we tell each other what we're going to talk about. We actually don't discuss it. Brandon was telling me everything he was going to talk about. And nine out of 10 times of what he was saying, I was just like, I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> we're going to argue. I disagree. And, and, that that's all we did. We didn't get into the disagreement, so that's why he, we're both a little fired up for this because I have a feeling you're going to have some fireworks. We're going to try to be uh, uh, cordial and, and take turns, but <laughs> I feel like we, we are going to disagree a lot on this one. It's just it's just a good time though, man. We're here to disagree, and you guys hear both sides, and you guys come to the judgment so that you can learn from this and hopefully make better decisions with your investments, right? Yes. Hopefully you you take what you learn here and you 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 say all right, David and Brandon both just are saying this this and that. I should take this. All right, let me do a little bit of my own research here, and then boom, I'll make this investment. Rational, rational investment decisions, which you will not get by watching CNBC or even <laughs> Bloomberg anymore. Not the, not not the talking heads that play off the emotions of the market to get ratings and to make money. That is not how you uh, operate a good investment portfolio. All right. So Brandon's already firing shots across the bow here. So Brandon, just go ahead and get into it. Um, we'll talk. Uh, you want to get into CNBC right away or or what? Yeah, sure. Fine. Yeah. All right. Let's get into CNBC because right. you're making the comment that CNBC is not good for rational uh, investment and, and, and news, right? Business stock investment news right. that can actually be used to make trades. Exactly. I disagree. I, I I I disagree completely with that statement. Number one, it gives you news in real time. That's one of the the pros and cons. It's a pro and a con. It's a con because they're hitting news out in real time. They don't have a whole lot of time to do their background work and research on what they're heading out to you because they're trying to give you the news as soon as it populates on the Reuters news wire. It's very real time. This is happening right now. And yes, that could seem confusing to a lot of people, but it also allows you to, as a day trader, for me to day, day, make day trades off the macro events of the day, and I can make money that way. I like that real-time news. Dave, Dave, their top two uh, programs are Fast Money and Mad Money. That's the names of the shows. It's that, not that's rational. A, that, all right, so that's... I watch Squawk in, uh, Squawk in the Morning, Squawk Box, right? Yeah. Yeah, we had the three the three heads of that. Uh, one of the guys uh, wrote the the big short. That was one of the books he wrote, and he's a, he's a smart gentleman. Uh, the other guy, he's here from locally Cincinnati. Michael uh, Burry was the the big short. I thought, huh? Wasn't Michael Burry the big short? He no, he didn't write it. He was he was oh, the he book did. was he was uh, one of the uh, main characters in the book, oh, God, which God. is true story. Michael Burry's a real person. Um, but I mean, Joe, uh, there's there's a lot of good. I'm convinced Jim Kick Kramer is not a real person. All right, so like, look, all right, okay, so you're gonna be that lady on the uh, airline flight uh, this past week, but um, look, 
take Jim Cramer aside, right? Yeah, because I know I know you don't like what Jim Cramer and and what he has to say, but like let's take him aside and just take CNBC from a news aspect. Like they're hitting us for real time news. They have a good ticker at the bottom, shows live updates. They cover the things that we need to know as far as like um, the big events of happening that are going to affect the markets, and that's what I'm looking for. And it gives new investors an opportunity to learn terminology because they they spit out terminology. But they're t- they spit it out as they're showing you charts, charts and uh, other items that helps you understand it better. But as a trader, fine, I understand the value of that as a trader. But you just use the word investor. Ninety nine percent of that crap is useless to an investor. <laughs> to a long term investor, it is useless. You can you can get better information. These days now from just logging into your brokerage account and going and looking at the balance sheets and the final financial statements of the company and, and uh, making investment decisions based on that, rather than whether or not somebody you don't know is on television telling you to buy it or sorry, it. what? Yeah, sorry. Uh, what about this? What about Rick Stantelli gets on there and he talks about the treasuries and he talks about how the one year and the five year haven't been at these levels in in 20 years and it's a sign that we're going to go ahead and get in a recession i mean th- there's some things that are going to be correct i'm not <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying that's in, but even past you that, said 99 but even still then the macroeconomics um are not as important as the microeconomics of, of your company and, and if you are a if you are a value investor that is buying to hold for the next 10 to 20 years rationally even that doesn't make that much of a difference to you unless you're going to panic sell. It's good to know potentially what is coming up or, or to, to know what to expect, but you're going to get the same amount of information from logging into TD Ameritrade and you're going to get to read it and not have the emotion behind it. If you know where to go on TD Ameritrade, if you're a new investor, how do you know where to go? How do you know what terminology means? CNBC is the best way for people to learn that and also read in books. Those are the two best ways I've, I've in, in all my years of trying to teach new people how to trade, such as yourself and other people. The best way was telling them to watch CNBC and read and read certain books. I think CNBC is the worst decision anymore these days. <sighs> I really do, and I, th- I think it's dangerous. Um, they they have I don't know why you said put Jim Cramer aside, but they don't put him aside. They make him the face of everything now. Yeah, and, yeah. He he's in the morning, he's in the evening, he's he's at lunchtime, man. He's he is he is everywhere in CBC. Let me give you let me give you a couple of examples, and we're gonna go back about 22 years here, February 29th, 2000, because he is the consensus on steroids. He he recently actually like well, let me tell you this real quick. He recently said to throw out what's not working and go with what is working and and don't wait for what's not working to work. I think it's terrible advice. I think it's terrible advice because I think that like market rewards patience and when you're buying something that's been sold off irrationally, even if it's not working now, even if it doesn't work next year, over the next 10 years, it'll get caught back up again and it'll work and you'll probably outperform if you've made good decisions. Go ahead, Dave. I see your hand raise. <laughs> I, I actually agree with your statement right there that you just made uh, versus what uh, Kramer said. And I bring up for this is something that we uh, we you and I talked about just last week about Blink or was it the week before? And I said that I was thinking about selling it. 
And you say, well, what's your timeline on this? I'm like, my timeline is further out. And I do expect it to have some growth because it is making deals. So after I made that that comment that I was looking at that, Blink did ink some deals and then they started moving higher because now they are inking deals. And uh, so you are correct in that, you know, patience pays off if you did your research and you made good decisions. Yeah. So February 29th, 2000, Jim Cramer says you have to throw out all of the matrices and formulas and texts that existed before the web. You have to throw them away because they don't make money for you anymore. That is all that matters. We don't use price earnings multiples anymore. We, if we talk about price to book, we have already gone astray. If we use any of what Graham and Dodd teach us, then we would not have a dime under management. That He was talking about Benjamin Graham and David Dodd. These are the two people that informed and um, made Warren Buffett what he is today. Now, just weeks after that statement, the dot-com bubble collapsed and everybody that had been ignoring Graham and Dodd for years went under. <laughs> Lost a lot of money. October 31st, 2007, you should be buying things and accept that they are overvalued, but accept that they're going to keep going higher. I know that sounds irresponsible, but that's how you make money. Right now, up is down, left is right, peace is war. That was Jim in October 31st, 2007, right before the housing crash. It might sound like I'm nitpicking here, and I kind of, I might be, Dave. Do you think I'm nitpicking? I, I was just about to hit my raise my hand. Yes. And here's here's why. Because, look, if you took all my statements over the last 20 years, I'm sure I've made some statements that were in the moment, in the heat um, of what was going on in the market. Like if we were, if we were able to go back to our Facebook page days when we were admin in that uh, Facebook stock trading page, uh, I'm sure we, you and I had made comments one or another that were in the moment, in the heat about a certain stock or company, and that, and that was completely wrong. And we would look back and say, I would never make that comment today. Uh, and it's, that's part of growth and learning. You know, you're not always going to have the right comment at the right time in the vols to stocks and business. Okay, but he's not learning, though. <laughs> so I, I, let me let me read off this tweet real quick, quick, because this is a recent tweet from Jim Cramer um, talking about the inverse Cramer ETF that was put out um, to bet, you know, against the things that he comes out for and so so on. He said, as always, I welcome people betting against me. I've done this for 42 years. Those who know me know that you would have been betting against Apple at $5, Google since inception, Meta at $18, Amazon at $10, NVIDIA at $25, AMD at $5. I welcome all comers. Here's the problem, Dave. He's never been consistent since making those original calls. Just last year, in October of last year, when Meta was at its lows, he was crying on television saying that he had it wrong and that nobody he shouldn't buy it and that uh, that he thought Mark Zuckerberg was better than this. And look, it's like almost doubled since then. Okay, let me give you some examples of NVIDIA here real quick. All right. So here in, in, in 2022, this is uh, about October of 2022, is trading at uh, $300. Jim Cramer says he is not ready to take profits on NVIDIA yet. Sees stock at $10 trillion one day. Great. September of uh, 2022. I'm sorry, this was October of uh, 2021. But anyways, September of 2022, we're trading down near $100. Jim Cramer says he's shorting NVIDIA. It's a loser. That was near its lows. Now that we're trading back up to, uh, you know, close to $400, 
he says he does not he did not name his dog Nvidia for nothing. So even if he wants to take credit for these calls back then, he's never been consistent on them because he's always just been parroting the consensus ramped up on steroids to take advantage of people's emotions in the market for ratings. When Mar when Nvidia was selling off, he was bearish on it. He said he was short, but now he wants to take he wants to take uh, responsibility for saying that he said to buy it at twenty five. Does that matter if you were going to sell it at a hundred and then buy it again at one hundred and twenty five and then sell it at one hundred and fifty? Go ahead, Dave. All right, man. Look, <laughs> I all right. So yeah yeah you're right based off those comments there i'm sitting here thinking about this and yeah he's gone back and forth on on the video if if you know based off the comments you're given see my only memory was of jim kramer always back in the video saying it's a great company it's always going to be a great company he's he's known for uh, naming his one of his dogs nvidia because he's always backed nvidia he said it's a great company i've always backed nvidia i said it was a great company i did sell off when it hit 300 i on the show i, I said you know guys take some profit get off I took profit. I got out of it. And then I said, hey, I'm looking when it was dropping back down. I said, I'm looking to get back in. Got back in. Um, so I've bought and sold NVIDIA, but I've always said it's a great company. You've said here, you've never bought and sold NVIDIA, but you've covered the earnings and said it's a great company. It's okay, I believe, to buy and sell a company that you believe is a great company when there's moments like it's going from 100 to 300 and it's gapped up. You can sell and then wait for the drop back down before you buy again. So I don't see anything wrong with that and still believe, and still being consistent with saying it's a great company because it is a great company. I think he's always been consistent saying it's a great company, but um, he's bought and sold based off the uh, emotions of the market. Has I mean, Here's what would make me feel a little bit better if he would classify himself. Okay, Jim, come out and say you're a trader. Don't claim to be an investor. He's constantly claiming to be an investor. If he's momentum trading, that's one thing, but he's conflating investing and trading. Yeah. And but I but I, I don't even think that's it. I think it's more for entertainment value. And oh, it's hundred percent. I mean he's on TV, man. Yeah, so more for entertainment value than it is to actually really truly help people. He does say things from time to time that I agree with. I came up across an article today. Um, because like I said, I don't watch CNBC anymore, but I came up across an article today looking at this that he's pro Disney. I'm not somebody that's gonna go out and buy the inverse Kramer ETF. I think that's a goofy thing to do too. I don't think that's the right way of looking at it. I just think that like when you're watching these people, take them with a grain of salt. Do your own investment, your own research. That comes first before anything. Have the conviction to believe in yourself and what you are thinking rather than to have your emotions swayed by what you're watching on television. hundred percent agree. Yes. You can't have emotions. You got to be what I, what I call it is you got to be disciplined. You got to be disciplined and be able to withstand when it dips down and hold through it. So it goes back up. I know I, I'm uh, working with a, a number of new investors right now. And I, I talked about this one person that puts 20 bucks a paycheck away into their stock account and they're slowly buying. Right now, they're buying Google, but once they get up enough, they're going to be moving out to other other companies. But they wanted to get in one. I have another uh, person, a new one, new investor. Um, this gentleman does ten percent of his paycheck into a, a stock account, and he's been buying up Nike. Uh, that was an, another one he wants to buy for long term vision. 
Um, I don't, I didn't know if I was really back in Nike, but he did his research and he came back and said, based off my research is what I'm seeing. I'm like, Hey, you did your research, man. I give you credit. So as the thing that uh, I'm preaching to these two individuals as they're slowly building a position is don't worry about downturns. If you're investing, which they are, right. like you said, Brandon, if you're investing, you, you ride the downturns. That's just an opportunity to buy more on the cheap. That's what yeah. it is. That's how you have to look at it. You you're there for the long term, long vision. Um, me, I'm a trader. I believe I'm a trader at heart. I do have some investment, and I hate, I hate it. I I, I don't hate it. I I love my investments, but uh, I, as a trader, I hate them when they go down because I'm like, ah, I just want to get out. But you know, I'm like, no, these are investments, David, yes. and that's why I have separate accounts for them. I keep my my accounts separate. I have my investment account. And then I have my uh, trading accounts, and that that helps me compartmentalize those two uh, visions. And investing, honestly, if you're doing it right, it's one of the most boring things that you will ever do. Don't yeah, you don't, you don't even have to like watch it. Like you you just yeah. put the money in, and you just boom. And then if you you pay attention to headlines, if it drops lower, you're like, hey, I got some more cash. Just buy some more. Yeah, exactly. If as long as your your thesis and everything still remains intact for the company that you bought. You know, yeah, you buy more of it. Um, I do think we have a pretty big downturn coming. I'm not selling anything because of it. I'll just buy more like you were talking about of good companies that are going to get hit hard. Um, I think you're going to have some good opportunities coming up in, in Apple and Meta and Google and and, and Nike um, in the next six months. Now, I could be wrong. So if you think they're undervalued now, why not start buying now? Go ahead, Dave. Now, uh, Apple is just uh, taking a, a gap up recently. Now that not, I wouldn't call it a gap. A gap is a short-term move up higher at a, a higher rate. They actually did a, a. It was over a number of months, so it wasn't a gap up. They just they did they took a move up. We'll call it that. We'll call it that. Uh, so Apple just did a move up, and I think Apple is right now currently sitting where it should be sitting at. Uh, if it starts moving higher, if it goes above that $200 a share, that's when I would be, as a trader, looking to take my profits and get out of it. Um, I believe it's perfectly set where it's at right now, given the economic environment. Um, and, and so also some things I'm going to get into later on the show about, you know, where, where, where we at with semiconductors. You know, I think there's Apple's more needs to be more concerned on growing its services and uh, that's where I believe they're they're going to truly make the money, not not actual devices. There's not another company in the world that I would look at and see a three trillion dollar valuation and say that it's fairly valued. Apple, <laughs> I think, is still right now fairly valued at three. Yep. trillion. That says a lot about the company. Right. Um, I do think you're going to have a pretty good opportunity to buy more um in the next six months so let me talk about that a little bit why you mind if i move into uh two new indicators that i found uh pointing to potential steeper sessions in the next six months yeah go ahead rick stantilly right. right. <laughs> excuse me so when you talk about money supply the two ways that um economists measure money supply m1 and m2 M1 is composed of currency, demand deposits, and liquid deposits. Uh, this includes savings deposits and such. M2 accounts for all of that in M1, and it adds savings accounts, money market funds, certificates of deposits below $100,000. Basically, this is money that you have access to 
it takes a little effort to get this capital to work though, right? Like you have to withdraw it. It might take two or three days for it to come to you, but uh, that's M2. It includes basically almost all of the money supply that consumers have. Now, during COVID-19's era, M2 uh, soared by 26%, partially because the Federal Reserve uh, lowering interest rates, the um, the COVID bailouts, all of that stuff. It was the steepest increase in U.S. money supply um, going all the way back to 1870. Now, following this peak of M2 money supply, $21.7 trillion in July of 2022, M2 has fallen to $20.81 trillion as of May 2023. Now, we can look at data going back to 1870 thanks to Reventure Consulting um, and their CEO, Nick Gorelli. And um, when you go back, looking back to 1870, every single time that we have fallen at least 2%, we have had a depression, not a recession, a depression. We're now in the fifth time. So what? What? granted, you have to go back pretty far for this to see this happen. But so we were in the 1870s, 1893, 1921. Um, and then uh, the Great Depression. Those were the other four times that a drop this steep has happened. Now, a lot of people look at this and say, well, we had such a great increase in M2. Doesn't it make sense that we're pulling back a little bit? Yes, but the, the, the worrisome part of that is that we injected so much money into the economy that we um, we incentivized malinvestment to great, great extents Back in 2020 and 2021, with the with the um, COVID investments or not investments, but the bailouts and such, that now that we're pulling it all back, all these malinvestments are going to be basically shown for what they are, and that's worthless. You have anything as small as Justin Bieber's uh, million dollar board ape NFT dropping down to like whatever fifty thousand dollars or whatever it is now to um, the banks that we've recently seen collapse and, and, you know, more that might be coming. Go ahead, Dave. All right. So, yeah, and that's what I wanted to talk about is like, where did this money go? Because uh, based on the the definition you gave, because I never heard M1, M2, and I've been doing this for almost 20 years now. Um, you think I would have come across this at some point or another. Uh, but based off the definitions you just gave, uh, yeah, I, I I like the example you gave about the NFTs, right? That's a perfect example of where people have put some of this money that they said, hey, let me pull it out. I have a great investment in NFTs. Let me see if I could go ahead and uh, grow this and make some quick money with it. Or people uh, wanted to go ahead and uh, maybe take some money out so they could pay for these vacations that everybody's going on right now because the airlines are seeing an uptick in travel to almost pre-COVID levels. And so everything's back on the boom. But we're, how are we paying for this when, you know, inflation's gone up and wages haven't gone up to eat with inflation how are people paying for this they're taking from their savings yeah. so it it's not always if it if it's people taking from their savings to pay for vacations they feel comfortable they have enough left if they're doing that is what i look at it or if they're taking from their savings to go ahead and invest in nft they those people may not have enough left because they're making quick decisions on trying to make quick money why do you need to make quick money if you have, if you're doing just fine, you don't need to make quick money. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I look at that and I think those people are the ones who are causing it to really drop down. 
Um, and that's just off the top of my head here. I haven't really looked at this, but I, I don't know how to take that. I don't know how to take that, Brandon. I mean, um, man, maybe it's a sign. Maybe it's maybe it's not a sign. Maybe it's just a sign of the times that now in 2023, people are wanting to move their money around so fast for experiences and for these new things that they're not concerned about saving for retirement anymore. I mean, you know, and, and history doesn't always repeat itself in economics. We always get thrown curveballs, but it's just another indicator to show that there's possibly another downturn coming. And I'm not telling anybody to sell off any of their good investments. What I'm telling people this for is to make sure that everybody understands the possibility of what could happen in the next six months to a year. Because if you if you expect it, it makes it a little bit easier to stomach if it does happen. If we do have a very steep recession, you know, and, and stocks decline 20 to 50 percent, which is actually pretty common occurrence um, over the years. 10 percent is really common. 10 percent happens about once every two years. Um, and, and it sucks that it happens. But, you know. You can take advantage of it and over the long term, actually make it make you more money anyways. Um, Dave, before I before I uh, answer your question here, before I get to you, I just want to say one more thing. One of the biggest lessons that we should all take away from this is that more money in the economy does not equal more wealth, right? We've all paid it back in higher inflation. And I really, like, I swear to you, I will break my TV if a politician comes on in 2024 and says that a universal basic income is a good idea again. Go ahead. All right. First of all, we're not going to get political, Brandon. That, that's this all. Is I'm a going stock with and it. investment show. Let's keep it as stock and investments. But, that but second of all, but that so, has so, something to do with it, though. Like, if you've got that universe, I'm, let me just pay, 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 pull it back a little bit. You're looking at the COVID bailouts that didn't make any of us richer. All right. So. Let's talk about that ten uh, percent. You you mentioned that happens once every two years. I would disagree with you. A market correction happens more than one time a year, usually. Ten percent. A ten percent is a market correction. I've seen that happen multiple times a year. I the, have the, too. The, I have you'll too, see a bull. So. You'll see a bull run, and then profit taking comes in, and they have a market correction. I mean, the data that I saw said on average uh, one point eight eight times every two years so yeah well, see, it's about once a year you're right you're right now nowadays you also have computers trading right so when the computer sends a a, a significant trend in a stock or in stocks as a whole that people are sell 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 the computers take over and they start sell 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 selling and now you have uh all this the sell uh, tidal wave coming at you and that's the problem with having computer trading i love it though I mean, because if you if you want to come back and scoop up those pennies that are going to turn into dollars, I mean, the, the computers they're yeah. they're not they're not perfect either. Yep. All right, man. What else you got, or is it? Can All I right. can I get into my whole uh, uh, semiconductor thing here? Because I really want to cover that. I got a little bit more. All right, commercial industrial loans to large middle market companies, CNI loans. Those are short term. Uh, providing working capital to businesses so they can finance big projects or acquisitions. There's been, you know, some volatility over the past 50 years. Uh, when you're looking at commercial bank credit, dipping a few tenths of a percent or so on, there's only four occurrences where commercial lending declined by 1.5% or more. Every single one of those times we had a recession, we're in the fourth time right now. 
So once again, we'd be bucking history and and going against the tide to not have a recession. I think it is a mistake to think that it is different this time. Right now, the second quarter update for 2023 showed that 46% of domestic banks are making it tougher to get a CNI loan. Uh, go ahead, Dave. It, it's it's your turn to talk. All right, man. So first of all, the consumer and commercial loans I've been talking about three months ago, Brandon, you're three months late on this. I've already covered these numbers. I agree with you. The numbers are there. I agree with you. They're tightening on loans. I agree with you that there are less uh, businesses uh, going in there and investing in infrastructure. We've talked about the retail uh, retailers coming on their earnings call saying they're not investing in infrastructure. They're pulling back certain projects. They're putting on other projects on hold. We've already talked about this, but companies are doing this preemptively thinking that there's going to be a downturn. So it's already been talked about. And it's already priced in, in a lot of places. I believe that's what I think uh, being three months late is, is the problem is that it's already priced in. So, I mean, what do you think, Brandon? Do you disagree with me? Do you don't believe it's not price in? No, I don't, because I think that the market's been uh, largely ignoring all these warning signs since about January, with the NASDAQ being up year-to-date 31%. S&Ps, I think, like 10 or 11%. Dow not doing as well because the banks haven't been participating in this rally, and rightfully so. But I think that's another warning sign that we're seeing. that Nobody wants to touch the banks. All right, so here's my question, man. So if the Fed's seeing all the same things they're seeing, uh, you're seeing, right? These are these are uh, we assume smart individuals that are in in the Fed, and uh, they're also seeing the fact that you have a hot jobs market that cannot cool down to save a life. Why are they Why are they raising rates if the only positive here is uh, the only positive for a uh, for for saying that the markets that the economy is doing well is the jobs number then why are they raising rates? If they feel like their job, their, what they're doing is, is working, then why why raise rates? Because they don't want a country full of broke millionaires. That's my answer. I mean, honestly, like once inflation gets as hot as it was, and it still kind of is, it's really, really, really hard to bring down without causing a recession. And if you don't bring it down, then the long-term damage to the economy just continues and continues and continues. And, and there's, there's nothing that you can do about it. It just, the, the cost of living continues to soar and nobody wants that to happen. They want to fix for it. They want to fix for the long-term. And if there's damage in the short term, then um, that's just a side effect. But what you're saying is that the damage is already there, and we're seeing we're seeing uh, numbers and proof of it. So, I I'm saying that hey, you know the the damage is 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 not there. Uh, we've already priced in a lot of these other these other issues. We've already dealt with it, and we just are still booming along on a, a strong economy. And that's why the Fed is raising rates because the economy is still strong, and I don't see the downturn. I'm still that sixty percent bull, forty percent. Uh, bear when it comes to uh, this uh, inflation fight. I still believe we're going to come out of it in a soft landing. I think we'll see more. I think we'll see more damage. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I don't, I'm not going to be angry about you disagreeing with me on this because I, <laughs> it's better for all of us if there's not a recession. Yeah. Cause if you're a long-term investor like you, you make money either way. So yeah. um, you're, you're not, you're not concerned. Not so much. But all right. I, so, I am- <laughs> I am in the fact that I don't want people to lose their jobs. I don't want to lose my job. I mean, what happens if I lose my job and then exhaust my savings and have to sell my investments at Lowe's? That would be awful. I don't want that to happen. Right. 
Yeah, no one, no one wants that, and that's what a lot of people were forced to do in two thousand eight. Um, all right, so let's mo- let's move on to the topic I want to cover, and it has to do with headlines. Surprise, surprise! David's talking about headlines here again, right? Uh, that seems to be all I uh, all I go over here are these headlines. Um, so I want to talk about something that happened in uh, recently, and it was in it was in news stories. I read a lot of news stories, read a lot of Reuters news stories, news wires, and all that. And and one of the ones I read recently was about how China was go ahead and they were they were setting new licenses needed to export certain things from the from their country. Right? They're saying if you're a business and you've been exporting this this uh, mineral, this material. Uh, we now we now you have to approve we have to apply for new license and we we have to approve you and we have to approve how much you get to ship out. Well, the the two minerals in question here. Let me see if I can find out exactly which ones they are here. I have this pulled up. Um, oh, it doesn't it doesn't say. I I've read other articles where it does say, but the two minerals here, uh, that are uh, in question are ones that are necessary, and I repeat, necessary to build semiconductors for EVs and other and other uh, auto automotive uh the industry as a whole for other cars as well. Um and so this is a huge scary impact that you know China is now saying hey we're going to regulate how much of this goes out to the rest of the world to be used to produce semiconductors. It it, it makes me a little uneasy that we could have a uh, a supply shortage just because I don't know China woke up one day and was grumpy and decided to say, you know what, we're going to cut how much supply we send out. And it could be something that simple that causes uh, you know, a worldwide supply shortage. I'm not going to get into the rest of the article just yet. I just want your thoughts, Brandon, on just that little bit of information I just gave you. They've got a lot of power over us when it comes to the semiconductors. They've already threatened a bunch of, of, of this as well. Um, you know, 67% of our semiconductors coming out of Taiwan uh, and um, – but Taiwan imports a lot of the raw materials to make those semiconductors um, from China. Uh, a lot of the sand and, and silicon and stuff like that comes out of China. And um, just, you know, it's just another threat and a long list of threats that China has made. And um, I mean, I really, this is one of the things that I do agree with when it comes to politicians, at least getting the CHIPS Act. I think the CHIPS Act is, is a national security concern almost. I don't like the amount of, of money that it's being spent on, and I don't want to get too political on it at all, but we really need the semiconductors here in the United States, or at least away from China's control. Right. So uh, this 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 is this, a uh, geopolitical event that actually has uh, uh, immediate uh, real-term effects on stocks and companies, right? Yeah. Um, so here I'm going to read some of this article, and, and uh, in it we're going to quote a uh, Jean-Domique Sennard. Uh, he is the Renault chairman, so uh, he's the CEO of uh, Renault, the EV automaker out of, uh, of course, France. Um, but here's the two metals that uh, that we're talking about here: the two minerals, metals. It's gal- uh, gal- gallium and germanium, right? Gallium and germanium. Uh, those are used in semiconductors and EVs. Uh, so what he's talking about here, and this is Sennard's words, uh, n- nothing else. He says. When I talk about a Chinese storm, I'm talking about the strong pressure today really related to Chinese uh, electric vehicle imports into Europe. He is worried. He goes on in this article here, and this is you can find this on the Reuters Newswire. It came out uh, yesterday, but uh, on 7-8. Uh, he goes in and talks about how he's worried 
that he uh, China's going to go ahead and cut the export of these two metals to the rest of the world so that they can Im- so they can export their EVs and thus you know competition is uh, very much stalled and and their uh, Chinese companies can take the foothold and lead the way there. My only thing against what he's saying is, and this is where I disagree with with Sennard, is I see Tesla moving in with to China very easily, even more, and building plants there, and Tesla moving into France very easily and building plants there. I believe this is actually a sign that uh, the Renault company is not in good footing, and he's looking for a scapegoat. It's a good scapegoat, and it actually has some logic and reasoning behind it, but I think it is still just a scapegoat for the company, and I would question them on their next earnings call. I agree. Right. So I get all that from reading these articles and I present that to you, uh, to all of our listeners here today, that this is why I read all these articles. So I could put this article over here that I read and this article over here and this article over here, and I could put two and two together and get four and say, Hey, there might be some issue here with this company. Like I read another two articles today about Boeing problems. You know, a Boeing plane caught fire, Dreamliner <laughs> caught fire on in New Jersey, Newark airport. Yet again, Boeing is continuing to have problems with the airplanes. But the problem is when you have two major airline uh, builders, you have uh, Airbus and Boeing, and that's it, uh, unfortunately. But, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons I read headlines. I want to end. I covered the China issue, guys. Please watch that because if China does start restricting those two metals, that is going to have some ripple effects throughout the uh, the uh, the countries and EVs and competition. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on if you see new, news headlines about that. This next one, I'm going to uh, talk about Brandon and shit. I mean, this probably only going to take a minute or two of, of our time here, but I want to talk about it. Headline reads, Wall Street week ahead as earnings loom, investors weigh recession resilience. That's going against what you just said, Brandon. Yeah, uh, but it will until it doesn't. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's read some of the snippets from this article, right? Okay. Let me, let me do that. All right. So the S&P has gained nearly 15% year to date. That's mainly driven by a handful of mega cap growth and technology names. Other sectors have lagged, such as S&P 500 Healthcare, which is down 4.7%. So healthcare, down. Financial sector, down 2%. Energy is nearly down 9%. So there are sectors of the economy and the stock market that are down. The thing that goes against what you were saying it is that a lot of people probably were invested heavily in these areas and they're losing money, maybe in their 401ks or other funds such as the M2s, and they're losing money because they were invested in these areas. But those who were invested in the ones that are rising up, the big mega caps such as NVIDIA that's had a great year uh, run so far, the Apple that is uh, moving up on this year so far, the other companies that are moving up on this year so far have made up for that difference and that's what's pushed the S&P 500 over the AI boom if you will stock market boom I don't know if we actually are making the billions of dollars to justify the boom in the stock price yet off AI but the boom in the stock price has happened and that's what's caused it to go up Brandon and that's why I think that is priced in go ahead rebuttal I get your point <laughs> I get your point on this um the overall market, though, it is not priced in. Then, because if we're if we're only being led higher by AI and by the beaten down tech stocks of yesteryear, and that's what's leading us higher, 
then I wouldn't be buying SPY at this point in time and expecting to make any money off the next year off of it. Um, but we should take some time and pat ourselves on the back because October of last year, what we were, what were we doing? This is like literally the tech sector that was beaten down so badly last year was like the majority of our buys that we were calling on the show. Yeah. So, and we've been called the October low. So, yeah. So, well, you called October low. I still think we're going to, we're going to retest it, but we'll see. Um, so far you've been right on that. So, all right. So I want to get in a couple more snippets of this article here, right? Uh, no, uh, number, another uh, line here is, and I, I read this to you pre-show, but I asked you not to respond to it pre-show. Uh, Goldman Sachs cut in the chance of recession within the next 12 months to 25% from 35%. And the Commerce Department, meanwhile, increases estimate for first quarter gro- GDP growth to 2% annualized from its initial 1.3% annualized rate. What do you think about those revisions on, on estimates? I, w- I would like to know their reasoning for it, but it does seem like to me every time the stock market starts to go higher and starts to rebound again, everybody gets super bullish and then a little bit more greedy than what they should be. I mean, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But I mean, I gave you time to present your facts and figures. Let me read some more. Here we go. The U.S. economy added the fewest jobs in two and a half years in June. A persistently strong wage growth pointed to the still tight labor market conditions and new data on Friday showed all but ensuring the Federal Reserve will resume raising interest rates later this month. Again, I talked about the jobs as a leading indicator why the Fed continues to go ahead and raise rates. Yes, the jobs market, the jobs number was great. Yes, we are still adding jobs, but now it's saying that we've added a fewest amount of jobs in two and a half years. That now is is that not a sign that it's starting to slow down, but not at the rate that the Fed wants? You could take it either way. You could say that that might actually wind up speeding up the process of of um, you know stopping the rate hikes and such and. Um, Maybe even at some point over the next couple of years or even in 2024, we start, you know, lowering rates again. But then at the same time, you got to think of it, too. Job growth is slowing. It's the slowest that it's been in, what did you say, two years? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. That's not that long. But um, two and a half years. And um, maybe we're starting to top out with the job growth and maybe the recession is right around the corner. And if that's the case, then that might be what makes them lower interest rates. Either way, for the short term, the small number of jobs being added is actually bullish for the stock market in the short term. But uh, I, I'm still like that. That makes I'm I'm indecisive on that one. All right. So let me give you the last little stat and then uh, we'll wrap up the discussion and wrap up the show. But the last little stat here, man. It is. Oh, here it is. All right. Um, so all these uh, interest, uh, the Fed raising interest rates is going to continue to weigh on stocks and overall borrowing costs increase. Overall earnings in the S&P 500 are expected to fall 5.7% in the second quarter. This is largely due to profit margins being tightened because of inflation. That's big. Uh, Five point seven percent drop in 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 re, in earnings coming up. 
for the the second half of this year is what they're expecting. That's the expected. For profit, I, yeah, I'm surprised that the profit margins aren't actually starting to increase just a little bit. I mean, Levi uh, Strauss just reported earnings, and um, their quarterly revenue was down nine percent year over year, but their profit margins increased because. Um, you know, oil has stopped increasing in price. We've come back down a little bit on transportation costs and raw materials have started to be a little bit easier as far as costs go uh, as well. And and the increase in costs on those is, you know, it's not going as crazy as it was. So I'm surprised by that. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. I, I am, I'm surprised that it's, it's, uh, it's still we're seeing tightening of, of profit margins there for sure. Again, and you have to take these Reuters newswires, guys. And you, uh, one thing that I ra- will randomly do is look into these authors, look into their history, look into some of the other articles that they have uh, put out there, and uh, where they cite their stats from, because they, they have to cite their uh, their information as well. So, it's always interesting to read these articles, to take this information, and use it to make your decisions. And that's what Brandon and I have been talking about on the show today. Is him and I may disagree on certain things, but we're still using information and research, and that's the key. We're using infor- uh, research, we're using uh, a data, we're using facts and figures to go ahead and come to our decisions. I do more of a macro uh, in uh, trading more often, but I do have some investments and Brandon does more investments. Yeah, uh, Brandon, uh, final thought, man. Uh, Levi Strauss, their earnings uh, off 9% uh, from year over year, year over year, and that was softness in the United States. Uh, and they cited pressure on, on the U.S. consumer. So... Um, I think that that's one more notch in my column, Dave, for a potential recession coming up, even though they did say that uh, by the end of the year, they expect that uh, the headwinds to start to mitigate a little bit. Well, uh, the, the Saudi uh, Saudi Aramco, that oil company, um, also believes that the recession is uh, going to happen because they have been cutting the output. Uh, they want to keep oil prices high, so they just cut the output because they think that there's going to be fewer need. For oil, and that's usually what happens during a recession. We need less oil because we're doing less business. Um, but uh, you know, they they also would agree with you, Brandon. So there you go. You're in you're in good company. Um, so they're probably going to cut production. They they have they've already been cutting production of oil. Yes. Um, so that's going to keep oil prices high, which is great for if you're Buffett because he's he's going to end up owning all of Occidental Petroleum here soon. The way he keeps buying more, I. I <laughs> You know, he must know something uh, I don't know. Um, but he sold everything to Taiwan semiconductors. He got out completely of Taiwan. He got out of RH as well. Yeah. See, I mean, so I mean, what does that tell you as well? Getting out of those two companies that makes me a little wary. But we we reported on that that time. All right, guys. Uh, as far as me day trading, uh, the market was down last week. I think we're gonna have a mixed week ahead. It's gonna be based off of earnings and news. I think the macro events are gonna lead the way. Very heavily, but the earnings. We have a lot of earnings coming out this week. Keep an eye on those. One, a couple things that I look for with a day of earnings. If it's a company I've been watching and I, I haven't bought or sold before the day of the earnings, if it's reporting after the bell, or um, if it's usually up that day all day long, soaring, it's usually usually bad earnings and it drops. <laughs> if it's a, yep, down, exactly. it's always inversely. Seems like it's always inverse. Um, if it's flat, it can go either way. If it's yeah. flat, go, it could go either way. So uh, it's always something to watch. Uh, keep an eye out. Um, but earnings are always a good play. That's how most investors start day trading is uh, via the earnings. Uh, but most people will sell the news. So they've already bought ahead of time and they're selling the news. 
Um, and that's where you hear that saying from is the smart people sell the news and the not so smart people are buying off the news. Yeah. So when I used to, when I used to buy and sell options, when I was trading options years ago, what I would do is I would, if, if a company was reporting after the bell, I would go back like the past week or two and I would look and see, all right, all the uh, articles here on this company for earnings are negative. It's been down like four or 5% in the past week. That's a good omen for earnings because they're setting the bar really, really low. And that means that any amount of information that comes out that is positive could send the stock higher. Um, and then the inverse was true. If it was all positive going into earnings and the stock's up, that means that everything's kind of already priced into it. And you're probably going to have a decrease after earnings, even if it was a great report. That's a good look. I like the uh, looking back the five day. That's a good piece of advice there for anyone listening. Very, very good advice. Uh, appreciate that. Take that. So take that. Why are you so surprised? <laughs> hey, man, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you, you, you traded options like a crazy madman there for about, uh, two years. Uh, so two straight years and it was because it was because the first year I did it, I sucked at it. And then the second year I got good and yeah, I just wanted to be good at it. So it's all I did for two straight years was just options. I didn't, I didn't touch any other stocks or anything like that. I let everything that I owned for stocks, uh, just sit all my investments. I didn't touch them at all. And I just did options. Right. And in two years, you aged like 20 years. So yes, I did. <laughs> that's what options will do to you. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, as always, we hope we've been entertaining, educational and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Have a good night.